Hey everybody, Chuck here. I'm a little sleepy because it's Saturday morning. And you know what that means? It's time for another classic episode. Stuff you should know selects. This one is from May 3rd, 2002. How bullfighting works. And you know what? Honestly, I picked this one because I just wanted to uh, to goad people further. I came out, uh, we usually try and keep things fairly neutral. But I came out hard against bullfighting on this. Because it is barbaric and awful. And uh, I don't apologize for that. So I'm going to puff my chest up and republish this one right now. Uh, I don't care about the tradition. I don't care about any of that. I just want people to stop bullfighting. So uh, we get into the history of it and all that. And I think Josh was a a little more neutral than I was, if I remember correctly. But uh, yeah, I'm not into it. So uh, go ahead and send your hate emails now if you want. Or emails of support. Here we go. How bullfighting works all over again. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me as always is Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Ole, Chuck. Ole. <laughs> Ole. Right back at you. Um, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. I've been learning a lot about bullfighting lately. I don't know if you know. You mean bull killing? Bullfighting is what it's called traditionally. That's not what I call it. Uh, or you could also call it a uh, corrido. Corrida. Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> Corrida. You ever been to Spain? No. Have you? Yeah. Where? I've been to uh, Barcelona. Yeah. And then um, Tosa de Mar, which is a little coastal town near Barcelona. They're mm-hmm. on the Costa Brava. Very nice. Have you been to... And that's it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very nice. Have you seen a bullfight? No, I would not. I would not do that, sir. I have seen a bullfight. Oh, yeah? And... Um, to offend you even further, not only was it a bullfight, it started off with a cockfight. <laughs> it was in Cancun. I saw it with my sister and my dad. Wow. And um, it was crazy because we were we were there, and it was a bullfight. Like, it wasn't like you could have accidentally walked into this thing. Like, it was a bullfight. Sure. Um, and I would say 80% of the people there were um, white probably American tourists. Of course they were. Who booed and yelled and shouted things the whole time. Yeah. And I remember thinking of of that one Simpsons where um, Lisa was having a nightmare about being second chairs for saxophone in the school band. And um, at at the concert, everybody was booing. And she wakes up and thinks like, why would everybody come just to boo? It was exactly like that. People came just to boo the bullfight. Well, that is one uh, people who who say bullfighting is not good, of which I'm one of them, say that that's one of the only reasons bullfights are still even going on is because of tourists. Oh, gotcha. That they're the ones buying the tickets. And many times those tourists get there and they're horrified and they leave early and think, wow, no what did refund. I just spend my... Yeah, no refunds. No refunds, man. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> so you just funded bullfighting. Yeah, exactly. Sucker. A um, couple of quick stats. Oh, yeah. Roughly uh, two, between two hundred and 250,000 bulls are killed each year. From bullfights? From bullfights. That's a lot. And um, I, I'm not sure if this is accurate, but the number I got 
was that 52 matadors have been killed since 1700. I'm surprised it's that few. Have you heard of uh, Julio Aparicio? Uh, no. If you have a very strong constitution, Uncle Josh warns you against this one. Is this a guy through the face? Yeah. Yeah, I saw it. Holy cow. It was almost like, how is that not photoshopped? It was perfect. <laughs> the horn, so Julio Aparicio was, uh, he fell down. Yeah. And a bull got the best of him, gored him with his with its horns, with his horns, because mm-hmm. bull's a boy. Sure. Um, and what a boy, huh? Yeah. Uh, and uh, gored him under his chin, yeah, and it through his through his neck, and then the the horn came out of his mouth perfectly, yeah. And um, a guy from Getty Images got a close up of it, like like fifty of them. Dude, and there's video of it. It it's it's amazing. I haven't seen the video. It's on the YouTube, it's, and it's one it's of those that's so awful that you have to like sign in and verify your age before you watch it. Gotcha. And I would do not advise people to watch this. I don't even advise you to see the to look at the Daily Mail article that has it, but it's pretty crazy. Yeah. But yes, it happens, and I'm surprised that only how many fifty seven. So, uh, the stat I got was fifty two in the last you know three hundred plus years. Yeah. Um. So there's not much of a fight going on. So and Matador is actually Spanish for killer. So, Is it really? Yeah. Um, yes, they're killer bulls for sure. It's the whole point. Like there's really no gray area here. Like bullfighting is the, the purpose of it is to kill the bull. Yeah. Uh, un, under certain conditions or um, within a certain framework. But that's the point of bullfighting. It's not anything but that. And if the Matador fails to kill the bull, that's on him. And it is a huge disgrace. Yeah. Like that's a that's a loss and it's it's not very good. Right. Um but I, I start I'm starting to suspect that you are opposed to bullfighting. Yes. Um there are a lot of people and apparently Spain's um I mean in Spain it's like a natural cultural thing. It's been around for a while. And even people who feel the same way you do still say, I still don't think it should be illegal. It's just too much a part of our tradition. Not everyone feels that way, though. No, definitely not. They did a Gallup poll in 2010, and 70% of Spaniards said that they were ready to do away with it. Oh, really? Yeah. That's a lot of Spaniards. And that's up from 31% like 15 years earlier. Huh. So in this modern day, people are starting to think twice about it. Well, let's let's talk about this, Chuck. Let's talk about how, how long people have been fighting bulls on the Iberian Peninsula. We don't know for sure, but... Um, there is evidence of uh, bull rituals dating back all the way to 1500 BC. Yeah, the Mycenaeans apparently used to leap over bulls that, oh, really? that were charging. It was like a thing. And they were always revered, you know, as like these godlike creatures. Yeah. Which is why I guess they want to kill them. What, yeah. What's the Taurus one? Taurus? Is that, the, is that a, an astrological sign? Yeah. Okay, yeah. That's, of course. That's, Pretty ancient. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the uh, article points out that the Visigoth rule um, of the Iber- uh, Iberian Peninsula from 1415 to 711. Um, no, 415. What did I say? 1415. Yeah, 415 to 711. Um, had men on horseback fighting bulls, um, which evolved into mounted bullfighting, which uh, Rijonio, which nice. still exists in Portugal. Yeah. Horseback bullfighting where they kill the bull outside the ring later on. Right. They they weaken it to a certain point, which is 
the equivalent of killing the bull is far, I guess there, there's some point of no return that the Portuguese understand. Yeah. And they're like, oh, okay, bull, we're, we're done. Come outside. And then that's that. <laughs> but as anyone who's opposed to bullfighting will tell you that's not any more humane. Of course not. It's just out of sight of the spectators. Right. Um, so, yeah, you've got, what is it? Rejonio? Rejoneo. Rejoneo. Um, and then uh, bullfighting itself, as we understand it today, was firmly established in Spain by the 11th century. Yeah. Um, and it came about during festivals, specifically one festival called the Fiesta de San Fermin. And uh, anybody who's been to Pamplona will recognize that because that's where the running of the bulls takes place. And when? In July now. Oh, is it? July 7th to 14th. When did it used to be? September. Oh, okay. And then in the 16th century, they moved it to July. And ever since then, the the running of the bulls has been held. But it's been going on since long before that. And it actually started with a bunch of um, ranchers and their kids um, moving the bulls from, like, their pens to about a half a mile to the arena. Right. Um, And then people started running alongside them and evolved into the running of the bulls now. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, El said the uh, Spanish military leader... uh, Mid-11th century, he was one of the first to actually bring it into the arena and make it uh, the sanctioned corrida. Right. Which was government-sanctioned, is today at least. Yeah. I don't know if it was back then. I imagine it's it was. financially supported by governments too. Uh, 15th century, uh, it was a big part of the aristocracy until Queen Isabella came along and said, this is not cool. I don't know why she was against it. Probably because she was an animal lover. I would say that's probably a good idea. Uh, and Pope Pius um, V, <laughs> I almost said V, <laughs> uh, he banned it, but that didn't last very long, um, only about eight years because people were into it pretty pretty big time. Right. Um, and then in about the, I guess in the 1600s is when that that whole divergence between horseback and foot bullfighting took place. Yeah. And it remained um, the sport of the aristocracy until uh, Philip V uh, came along and he said, you know what? This is barbaric. Mm -hmm. Uh, You would have to be a low-class barbarian to engage in bullfighting. So if you're a member of my court and you get caught doing this, I'll shoot you in the knee. And the aristocracy said, well, we want our knees intact, so we're going to stop doing this. And at this point... Bullfighting transferred from a kind of highfalutin, snooty pastime yeah. to the the um, the pastime of the people, the national sport of the Spanish people. That's true. And uh, from that point on, it, it it stayed that way. Yeah, but they um, they the author does point out that there are arenas in Spain that still have the royal boxes for the royal family right. to attend these things. Yeah. So it hasn't gone away completely as far as that goes. So. Sp- Spain is the heart and life center of um, bullfighting. But there's other places that it's held, obviously. I saw one in Cancun. Sure. Um, And if you're a bullfighter, you can follow uh, the season pretty much year-round and get work if you're good. They have it in France. Did you know that? I didn't. Yeah. But I saw that it was banned in the UK. Had no idea anybody was fighting bulls in the United Kingdom. It was going on in Germany. It was going on all over the place. It's crazy. But that does make sense that it would happen in Germany if the Visigoths are the ones who introduced it to the Iberian Peninsula because they were Germanic people from south of the uh, South Norway, we'll Look call at it. you. 
Southway. Look at you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> the goths. Uh, so we'll walk you through what happens in a, in a corrida, um, in this whitewashed article version. But, um, before this ever happens, we'll walk you through the couple of days, uh, before the bull even gets to the ring. Oh, this is a special treat for me. It is. The bull, um, is not an aggressive animal at all. Bull likes to hang around and chew grass. And uh, smell flowers. That sounds like, like anti-bullfighting propaganda to me. <laughs> no, Ferdinand the bull. It's like a sweet creature. Okay. But they actually are not aggressive. They're only um, going to charge somebody if they're threatened and angry. Yeah. Which is what bullfighting is all about. Sure. Um, so in the two days prior to the bull showing up at the arena, they are abused. Um, they are uh, basically mentally destroyed versions of what a bull should be by the time they get there. You're fat, bull. (laughs) Well, they do fatten them up to make them slow. Well, that's a big problem, and you can call somebody out for that. Okay. (laughs) Um, They have wet newspaper stuffed in their ears, so they can't hear anything. They have Vaseline rubbed on their eyes, so their vision's blurred. They have their eyes taped open (laughs) so they can't sleep. Uh, They stuff cotton up their nostrils so they can't breathe very well. And they stick a needle through their genitals. That'll that'll take anybody off. Uh, they rub this caustic solution on their legs, which makes the bull not be able to balance uh-huh. and uh, keeps the bull from lying down ever. They strap their horns to the ceiling of their transport truck uh, to take them on their long, hot journey right. to wherever they're going. And for the two days before, they keep them in a, in a box. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. That's not all. They give them drugs to either pep them up or slow them down just to keep them in whatever state they want them in mm-hmm. and give them laxatives uh, to just obviously <laughs> make things even more uncomfortable. Gotcha. Um, then they put the bull in, the, in this dark box for two days uh, to disorient the bull. Finally, uh, when they open the box, there's a light at the end of the tunnel that the bull thinks, my God, I'm finally getting out of here, runs to the light, and all of a sudden they're in a bull ring. Right. And there's trumpets and fanfare and people cheering, um, and the bull's like, "Oh, cool! How's how's it? Hey, how are y'all doing? <laughs> yeah, I've been through some uh, rough times lately. Um, some of that stuff, I think, if you uh, were found out, you would be disqualified immediately, especially sure. doing stuff that um, slowed the bull down or made it less dangerous." Yes. Uh, the bull uh, ring is a ring for a reason. Um, bulls would want to go try and hide in a corner, but the ring, the circular ring, will confuse in a bull to where it can't hide anywhere. Have you ever seen that footage of that bull that, like, makes it up into the stands, like, jumps up no. and is in the stands, like, on top of people? It was crazy. Was that bull Ron Artest? No. Do you get that joke? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so the different acts, I believe, are called tercios. Yes, I believe so. And there's three of them, right? Yes, there's three of them. And it, the that's three acts in a fight, in a corrido. Yes. <laughs> in a bullfight. Yeah. and um, There's it, no suspense going on either, by the way. They all go down the same way. I'll bet it's suspenseful for the bull. <laughs> um, so the, the, the bull comes out, the first act, or what? Uh, yeah, act one. Okay. <laughs> In Act 1, there are um, guys called picadors, and they're mounted on horseback. Mm -hmm. And they are basically, um, I guess, low-level 
toreros yeah. or bullfighters. Yes. Because a, bullf- a matador is not the only kind of bullfighter. He is the cream of the crop pinnacle of bullfighters. The well-paid rock star. Yes. Um, but he works with a crew of picadors uh, who show up in the first act and uh, bandilleros. Yes. Who show up in the second act. But the picadors, what they do is they um, lance the bull between his shoulder blades around his neck muscles. And the whole point of this, Chuck, you'll love this one, is to weaken the neck muscles so that the bull's head hangs so that the matador can get to its heart more easily. Yeah. It also hits a gland in the neck that releases adrenaline, apparently. Crazy. Um, So they lance the bull three times and twist the blade around to ensure maximum blood loss. Mm -hmm. Um, Three matadors uh, will now come in they will fight individually later on, but they all come in at first in the first act with their capes. And this is in for the for the bullfight. It's an afternoon of them. There's six bulls and three matadors, and yeah. each matador fights two bulls. And each bullfight takes about fifteen to twenty minutes. Yes, roughly. Um, so they come in with their little capes and uh, do their little <laughs> maneuvers to draw attention away from the picadors, and the picadors go and hide behind their little walls. Yes. They have these interior walls that they can hide behind whenever the bull starts to get too dangerous. They run and hide behind these walls. Yes. Or if this were America, the picadors would be dressed as clowns and would hide in barrels. Uh, like at rodeo? Yeah. Yeah, we'll do a rodeo podcast at some point. Do we have to? Oh, sure. Okay. <laughs> they don't, I don't think they kill the cows in rodeos. No. Okay. Um, so the picadors leave the ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, the matadors leave the ring. Act two begins and the bandelieros. I know, that's a tough one. Yeah, it's they a come mouthful. in. Nope. They, they're basically bullfighters, assistant bullfighters, but they're on foot. Yes. And if you've ever seen a bullfighter or a picture of a bullfight, bulls seem to have some um, crepe barbs sticking out of them. That's the bandelieros work. Yes, and that is called a bandorias. And it's a barbed dart that's adorned. Colorfully, the bulls aren't the only things dying in this episode. So is the Spanish language because we are butchering it. <laughs> I'm trying. Uh, this, of course, further weakens the bull. Um, so the mighty matador doesn't have much work to do. So the the bull is still dangerous. Um, oh, they run it in circles at this point too to get it nice and dizzy and confused. Right. Yeah. The matador comes out for the final act, and he has ten ten official minutes to kill the bull. Yeah. Well, to do a little showing off first and then kill the bull. Um, after the 10-minute warning, or after the 10 minutes, he gets an aviso, uh, which is a warning, first warning. After three minutes, he gets another one, and then he gets a third one. So he has a total of, in actuality, 15 minutes to kill the bull or else the bull is let out alive and the matador is disgraced. Okay. But for the most part, the matador is going to dispatch the bull, and um, he does it. He, he first starts using the cape, and the cape's always held in the left hand. Is it? I saw right-handed dudes. I did not. Really? I was looking, and I, I could even tell that they were, um, they were, the cape was kind of clumsy held in the left hand. They were still holding it in the left hand. The, well, the guys I saw were practicing, so maybe, I don't know. But gotcha. I don't see why they would practice with their right hand. Yeah, I don't either. Right. So, okay, but you have a cape in one hand. You have a sword in the other. Yes. And the uh, the point of the cape, by the way, we should probably get to this now. Sure. Um Cape is always red because red angers bulls, right? Not true. No. 
bulls are colorblind, so they're not angered by red or any other color. What does get them going is the movement of the cape. And sticking uh, swords in their neck. That's another thing that gets them going, too. Um, And actually, that's not necessarily true. By the time the matador comes out, sometimes the, um, the bull is really tired from blood loss and being tortured for a couple of days, apparently. Yeah, of course. Um, and so the matador really kind of has to work to get it riled up again, even though the bull's just like, just kill me. The matador's like, not yet. We have a crowd to please first. So um, the uh, the matador, eventually, after the cape work is done, um, oh, the cape is red, by the way, to high blood stains. Yeah. Um, once the cape work is done, the matador will... Um, as the bull runs past him, will plunge the sword in between his shoulder blades in what's called a uh, estocada, which is the death blow. Yeah. And uh, a properly delivered estocada will sever the bull's aorta, and that will be that almost immediately for the bull. Yeah. If it's not done correctly, then the bull can be in even more tremendous pain as it bleeds out. But to protect against this, a bandeliero will come out and uh, immediately deliver any any uh, another thrust of a blade yeah. to make sure the bull is dead. With a puntilla, a smaller knife. Um, ideally, they kill them with one blow. That rarely happens mm-hmm. uh, because apparently matadors aren't so great at doing that anymore. I don't know if they ever were. And uh, a lot of times the bull lives even through the smaller knife plunge and is still alive when the ears and tail or hoof are cut off and presented to the matador. Well, usually there's a there's an, another fail-safe um, where they just bring out a tractor and run the bull over a bunch of times <laughs> to make sure that it's... That's so not that, funny. And if that doesn't work, then the, the people come down from the stands and just start shooting it. <laughs> That's not true, and it's not funny. It's not funny because it's not true, and they oftentimes do survive hanging on by a thread, their lungs are punctured, so they're bleeding, like drowning in their own blood and like vomiting up blood through their nose and mouth. Like a whale dying in flurry. Uh, And sometimes they will take it outside and skin it while it's even still alive. Yeah, that's a kind of a a tradition. Um, I I saw the bull after the bullfight. It was pretty sad. Um, They they take the bull right outside and um, they'll dress it and then sell the meat. At the stadium, um, which is customary and very strange, but that's one of the aspects of bullfighting. If you've ever wanted a bull burger and you wanted to eat it right after you saw it die, go to a bullfight <laughs> in Spain. Uh, they will drag the bull out with some mules attached to chains. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if the booing you heard, because apparently the people will boo and throw beer cans at the bull. At the end. I don't know if that's what you were... It, de- it depends. So it depends. Um, no, no, no. No, that's... This was... <laughs> they were booing the Matador, the Bandoleros, oh, were... the um, okay. Picadors, everybody. They the were booing guy. the whole country of Mexico <laughs> for this. Um, yeah, they were booing everybody. No, um, it depends on the bull. If the bull was um, a wuss, then I could see the, the fans throwing beer cans at it. There's also um, the, uh, an aspect of this that cannot be denied that a bull... Uh, that shows great bravery, anger, um, spirit, spunk, really tries to kill the uh, matador or the bandilleros, will be very much revered by the people in the stands. And gruesomely, um, they'll bring it out for a victory lap 
being dragged by the mules in a circle around the arena after it's dead or apparently while it's still dying. Right. People will cheer it, throw roses for it. Um, and there's a, there's a, a, um, there's a rule where the crowd or the matador can ask for an uh, indolito, uh-huh. which is a reprieve for a particularly courageous bull. And the president of the, of the um, bullfight, the referee, can say, yes, I give this bull a reprieve because it's such an awesome bull. We're going to let it live. And the matador proceeds to, um, with an empty hand, simulate the death blow saying, I could have killed the bull, but I like the bull so much. Right. I, I lobbied to get it released. What a guy. And that bull is taken away and um, put out to stud for the rest of its life. And there was one, it's very rare to get an indolito. Yeah. Um, and there was one, uh, one bull called Manzanito. In 1887, he got an Indolito because he gored all three matadors in the plaza that day. Wow. That, that, that will get you off right there. You Good get to him. go stud for the rest of your life, Mr. Bull. Uh, horses are also abused, the ones that participate. Mm-hmm. Uh, their ears are stuffed with newspaper, wet newspaper. They're blindfolded, and they sever their vocal cords so they can't scream out in pain because people don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear horse screaming. Yeah, people don't like that. So they sever the vocal cords so the horses that are, uh, you know, trembling in fear inside this ring at this bull Uh don't bark out and let people know that. And if the horses are hurt, they take them out of the ring and patch them up and send them right back in there. Where are you getting this uh, activist info? All over the place. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, it's not activist info. It's how it goes down. Uh, no, it all just kind of <laughs> has a certain ring to it. I'm not disputing it. I'm just saying like. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, coming out of my mouth, it probably sounds activist because I think it's an awful thing to do something like this. Gotcha. But this is the, these is the facts. Um. Okay, well, then, Chuck, you will love the next part wherein we talk about famous matadors. <laughs> yeah, feel free. <laughs> so uh, people have been doing this since, well, we said like the 11th century, right? El Cid was supposedly the first guy to fight a bull in, a, in an arena. Yeah. Um, and since then, it's, it's just become huge, big business. Um, but the first real and probably only real golden age, if you call it that, of bullfighting, happened um, from 1914 to 1920. And there were two matadors, Juan Belmont y Garcia and Jose Gomez, who fought bulls under the name Joselito, um, had a rivalry. And um, Belmont y Garcia was actually the first guy apparently to stand still or stand his ground when he was doing cape work with a bull, right? Rather than try to run away from the bull using fancy footwork, that that erect style, right? Yeah, uh, Joselito was his rival, and the rivalry was really going swimmingly, I guess, for everybody but the bulls, until Joselito was fatally gored um, at a match that both of them were at. Garcia and Joselito were fighting at um, in 1920. And that ended the golden age of bullfighting. You'll be happy to hear. He must have been small. Joselito? Yeah, his name is Jose. And I think if you're Jose and they call you Joselito, that means you're small. Like add that ito to anything or lito. Or young. Because he started very young. Oh, yeah, maybe that's true. He started at age 13. 
Um, and he was only, I think, 20, uh, 25. Yeah, he was 25 when he died, when he was gored. So uh, another guy who was gored is named Manuel Rodriguez y Sanchez. Do you think that's like the mother's and the father's names when it's two last names and there's an E and and in the middle? I don't know. I would think so. Manuel Rodriguez and Sanchez. You put the Rodriguez <laughs> together and the Sanchez's together and you get Manuel, also known as Manolete. Maybe so. And he was gored in uh, 1947. He was the top matador from 1940 to 1947. And I think his goring and the end of his being the top matador was not coincidental. <laughs> I think you're probably right. Uh, should we talk about the bulls? Because it's very specific what kind of bulls are fighting. Yeah. Uh, they're all four years old, which I didn't know. I didn't either. Um, and they are uh, specifically bred uh, to bullfight, and they weigh about 1,300 pounds. Mm-hmm. You want to translate that to kilos for our friends? It's 590 kilograms. That's right. And um, they are bred on ranches, and this article says that they are uh, tested for bravery and ferocity, and that if you pass that test, you become a fighting bull, Um and that may be true sometimes, but uh, matadors like to make their money, and they don't want to be gored. So the highfalutin matadors will request very placid, docile bulls just to keep the show going. Is that true? Yeah. Well, that's what that's what I read. Okay. So have did they you, just want to put on the show? You know, they did, don't want to die. Did, well, I'm sure they don't want they to die. Make, they want to make a few million bucks a year. Yeah, doing it easy too. Yeah, because they get paid about a hundred grand. Uh, a bullfight, and they can do maybe thirty to forty or more. Yeah, I know the um, oh the guy Belmonte, uh, he had a record hundred and nine bullfights in nineteen nineteen. It's a lot. It's like in Rocky Three when he was fighting all the chumps just for a payday. Oh yeah, he didn't want any real challenge, but ultimately he did want a real challenge because he fight he fought Draco. Well, he fought Clubber Lang in, in no in three, three in three it was the Russian. Oh no no. Yeah. Three was Clubber Lang. No. Yeah, the first two were Apollo. The third was Clubber Lang. The fourth was the Russian. I thought that he the was the third. Was, uh Tommy Morrison. And then the sixth was when he like came back as a trainer. Huh. And, and the think. seventh was him enjoying a nice <laughs> sandwich for two hours. No, Rocky Three was definitely Clubber Lang because that was my favorite one. Okay. Until I got older and I realized that the first one was actually the better one. You know, I, I thought that I would think that too. Mm-hmm. And then I went back and watched it as an adult. And I'm like, I mean, it's pretty good, but... Oh, man, I loved it. There's just too much character development in it for a Rocky <laughs> movie, if you ask me. Well, it was a love story. It wasn't even a boxing movie, no, really. I'm with you. I understand. Okay. But it was a love story starring and written and directed by Sylvester Stallone. That's right. All right. Back to the Bulls. Bulls are never exposed to more than one fight. Yeah, so apparently they have very good memories. Sure. So they'd learn how to out-duel the, uh, the matador in their, in their cape. Yeah. So that's why they don't fight them twice. And the guys who test their ferocity, for I guess the ones that are tested, those are done on horseback. So that the bull's not like, oh, I remember those capes. I'm going to get you. Yeah. I associate you with laxatives. <laughs> well, even this article says that they, uh, they alter bulls to make them easier to fight. But this is what I'm saying. It, so um, it, it's a very participatory sport for yeah. spectators. Um, so, like, you can ask for an indolito. You can also challenge or charge uh, 
somebody with fighting an altered bull, one that's overfed and is sure. too fat and slow, one whose horns have been altered because apparently the tips of the horns of a bull are yeah. very much like a cat's whiskers. And if you remove that, the bull's not going to have a very good sense of kinetics and oh, will really? never hit the, the matador. Yeah. So if the crowd thinks that, your career is like over, pal. That's why I don't think it's quite as widespread. Either that or else um, bullfighting crowds have become complacent. Well, I think that's definitely true. Yeah. Well, because it's 80% tourists. They don't know how to spot a fat bull. Well, then that very well may be the case. And they also, apparently, the way they stab them and where they stab them, they do so in order to make sure they charge straight instead of, like, I've got a bad left leg all of a sudden. Oh, gotcha. So I'm going to be going left all day or right all day. Yeah. Yeah. So, Chuck, we mentioned that you can make a pretty decent living doing bullfights, but you also mentioned um, that there's there may be the death of bullfighting, as it were. Do you think that's really true? I mean, seriously, people have been doing this since the 4th century, and now all of a sudden, just because of a bad economy and animal activism, bullfighting's going down? It's starting to. Where's um, the evidence? Well, the the polls that the popular sentiment is changing in Spain over the past 15 years is right. one. Um, Catalonia is uh, the first region in mainland Spain to actually ban it, and Barcelona is in Catalonia. Yeah, which is big because Barcelona had not one, not two, but three bullfighting arenas. That's right, and that took effect. Or Plaza del Toros. <laughs> that took effect actually just this year on January 1st. They said like, Let's finish out the 2011 season, and then we'll ban it starting yeah. from that point. They uh, they had the last one at uh, in September. I think September 28, 2011 was the last one ever. Was it? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a huge oh, deal. Yeah. yeah. But even in Spain, they're kind of like the snooty Catalans. Like they they don't they don't enjoy bullfighting. I think that's made some quarters of Spain even more fiercely proud of it. Yeah, probably so. Like Madrid apparently is still very proud of their bullfighting. Right. Uh, in 2010, one of the um, state television stations said, we are going to ban coverage, live coverage of it, because kids can watch this on TV. Um, they happen in the hours, in the early uh, afternoon hours and early evening, so they won't broadcast until after 10 p.m. now. Right. Well, there's a, there's a, um, a law that says you can't show animal cruelty on Spanish television until after 10 p.m. because of children. And so that's effectively banned right. showing bullfighting in Spain, um, which is a huge blow to it, um, I guess, economically or sure. financially. Because, I mean, think about how many, how much money comes from television deals and sponsorships. Yeah. If you can get rid of it on TV, like, that's that. Yeah, that's true. And then there's also, um, they've shown that there's evidence that government, that the federal government of Spain is pretty much what's propping up bullfighting these days. Right. Because... Um, there were what it went from a thousand bullfights in 2008 to 800 in 2010 in Spain, and um, that 200 was almost exclusively um, the result of cuts in government subsidies to small towns that can't afford to put on a bullfight. Right, and so that means that yeah, the government's holding the whole thing up. Yeah, I read a couple of interesting articles today. One of them was from a veterinarian, uh, and they have vets at the the bullfight. Um, on staff, I guess. Uh, and this vet went on record as saying they did all this testing of like adrenaline and noradrenaline and all these different uh, chemicals in the body on these 
bulls that had just survived, ones that were dead, mm-hmm. ones before they went in, and basically to prove that the bull suffers a great deal. Mm-hmm. Because there's this misguided notion that the bull doesn't suffer because they're this magical creature. I saw this one interview with a, a bandolero, and he said that a veterinarian, and this is translated obviously, but he said, a veterinarian told me that the bulls have a special cell in their body that prevents it from suffering and feeling pain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not true. Oh. Are you sure? Yeah. There's no special cell that, that keeps them from feeling pain. Well, that's a that's a larger debate, too. I mean, like, I believe bulls can suffer, but, you know, um, if you've read uh, David Foster Wallace's Consider the Lobster, can a lobster suffer? Is nociception, is the perception, the physical feeling of pain. Right. Is that the same thing as suffering? No, we've shown it's not. Remember in our happiness audio book, we talked about the difference between experiencing physical pain and experiencing suffering. Right. And they actually utilize different parts of the brain. Right. So if there's no suffering, is inflicting pain on something, e.g. cooking it, mm-hmm. um, is that cruel? Yeah, it's a good point. It is. But I think bulls experience suffering, it's especially if they go through what you describe. Yeah. And if, if you're against bullfighting and you want to do something, you can email the uh, or mail the embassies of these countries that still uh, participate and tell them that, hey, I'm not going to visit your country. I'm not going to spend my money there. If you're still going to endorse this, it's a small thing you can do. Uh, but can you mail me some wine? Because <laughs> I can't make it over there. Some Tempranillo. Uh, and I, I just, I'm going to go on record as saying this whole thing that it's a, it's part of the culture is just crap. Well, the the Spanish federal government would disagree with you because in 2010, and what a lot of people see as a response to um, the Catalonia ban, um, the Spanish government transferred jurisdiction over bullfighting from the interior ministry to the cultural ministry. Yeah. So As I, an attempt to yeah. keep it from being banned. It's going to be, uh, it'll be a tough fought one, but yeah, apparently even Mexico now is entertaining the idea of banning it. You know, some other things that work Defended as culture, uh, genital mutilation on females, mm-hmm. uh, witch burning, yeah, uh, bear baiting. You ever heard of that? Um, no. Bear baiting was popular in England up until the 18th century. That is when you take a bear, like a you know grizzly bear or brown Dress bear, it up like a clown. <laughs> well, not far off. You put it in a pit and chain it to a stake and release dogs on it. Yeah, and the dogs kill the bear. Or the bear kills some of the dogs, so they release more dogs, and people sit around and gamble on, is the bear going to get eaten first, or are the dogs going to get killed first? And uh, it's blood sport, and so, I think this is the same thing. You know, um, that's where bulldogs came from, and that's where they got their name from. It's called bull baiting. Oh, really? And bulldogs used to not even come close to resembling what they do now. They were actually bred to be less vicious. Um by making them slower and dumber and more cuddly, or wow. not dumber, but more cuddly. Um, and that's how we have the modern bulldogs now. But they evolved from basically uh, in the 19th century, bulldogs were where, where um, pitbull breed is now, where there are a lot of people being like, we just need to wipe this breed off the face of the planet. It's gone out of control. They're ridiculous. crazy. Everybody's scared of them. They're killing people. Right. Um, and then they managed to breed the meanness out of them. But uh, yeah, bull, bull baiting too. Bull baiting? Bulls just have been taking it all over the place. Well, and bear baiting actually still happens in Pakistan. Huh. And it's it's horrific. So from me to you, people of Spain, Mexico, France, 
uh, ritualized killing of animals for people to pay for and watch is a little outdated and just silly and cruel. And uh, I say, please stop. From, from Chuck to you. From me to you. And one more thing. <laughs> the whole notion of culture, isn't that supposedly to advance your civilization? And isn't that supposed to mean like positive things like culture? Yeah. I mean, what brings people together more than the ritual is killing drunk an on animal? Beer and watching <laughs> uh, watching bullfights. All right, I'm done. Stuff you should know. Um, off soapbox. So how do you feel about bullfighting, personally? Chuck? I think it's great. <laughs> uh, if you want to learn more about bullfighting um, or Chuck's views on it, you can type in Chuck or bullfighting in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. Uh, and I said search bar, which means it's time for listener mail. A very riled up listener mail. That's right. Now, this is calm. I'm going to call this... Uh, Illustrator wrote us about the comics episode. Nice. Uh, guys, I'm in currently an illustrator. Uh, <laughs> does he not have much hope for his future in that field? No, I think he does. Okay. Um, I found because he does like uh, digital illustration too. I guess. Um, I found your podcast when I was hip deep in art school at the Art Institute of Boston, uh, but there are only so many times I could listen to the same old Our Lady Peace songs on repeat. Remember that group? No. They had like one song. Okay. So they listened to the same song over and over? I guess so. Which song was it? Oh, I can't remember. I dug the song, actually. I got the CD because of that song. Man, I used to fall for that when I was like 12, 14. (laughs) You'd just be like, that's the only good song on the whole CD. Before the Kasingle? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm now a professional illustrator, but I also teach art at AIB and was able to live a mini dream when my higher-ups approached me about teaching a comic uh, book class. Sweet. So he was pretty stoked about this. Um, on the comics, and this is just some things he pointed out. On the comics code of authority you guys talked about, uh, World War II was long over, and the new round of superheroes, uh, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, had yet to emerge from the minds of Lee, Kirby, and Ditko. As a result, comics were merely treading water and chasing uh, from fad to fad, westerns to romance to eventually horror. Uh, horror comics are what really started to worry everyone, uh, so they began to put pressure on companies like uh, EC who had made their names in over-the-top horror. In turn, EC basically jettisoned its stake in horror comics and latched on to a little humor comic, uh, Mad, which we talked about. It was like um, stories guaranteed to drive you mad. I exactly. think it was the original version. Uh, but to this point, Mad was published basically as a comic book. Uh, in essence, EC was looking to hedge its bets, so it relaunched Mad as a magazine, um, which is a very different distinction because it all of a sudden wasn't under the code of authority. Right. Uh, In 1955, we were blessed with the very first Mad Magazine, a very calculated move since they were not heavily scrutinized like comics and they didn't have to worry about the comics code. That is very smart. It is. Um, I hope to make it bigs as a comics illustrator and children's book illustrator who says I can't do both. I also thought you might like to know that you're keeping me company during these long hours chasing the dream. And this dude's stuff is awesome. And if you want to hire Greg Marathis... You can get in touch with him at uh, the Greg Maratha Studio, which is G-R-E-G-M-A-R-A-T-H-A-S dot com, or read his blog, Greg Marathas 
www.blogspot.com. Nice. His stuff is very cool. I told him I'd keep them in mind if we ever needed drawings. We could use some drawings. We need some Facebook timeline drawings. Yeah. If he's willing to work for free. Yeah, get to it. <laughs> Did we, remember we, um, we got um, chastised by a graphic designer for holding that t-shirt contest. Yeah, I emailed him back, actually. Did you just calm him down? Uh, yeah. I was like, you know, most of these were amateur designers. There were some pros in there, but none there of them pros. seemed to mind. I it's not like we forced anybody to, to yeah. do it. But there's a whole, there's a whole movement um, from designers about design contests being awful. Like, what other industry basically asks for free work as a contest, quote-unquote. There's, like, fiction contests. Yeah, there's all kinds of contests. Soapbox derbies. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that people do for free as part of a contest. Bake-offs. <laughs> Or bakes off, I'm sorry. And I saw some designers that say, I don't agree with that. Contests make me better. Yeah. And if you don't architecture, enter, don't enter. That's a ridiculous idea. Architecture as a field has been in contest mode for a century yeah. or more. And like, yeah, that's a, a, there's a lot of work put into it. There's a lot of work put into graphic design. Contests are everywhere. I think that's a ridiculous stance. Well, his point was, because he emailed me back and he was like, well, fine, the contest is fine, but... You should give them a cut of the t-shirt sales. I don't disagree with that. Well, I know, but we had no choice. Well, no, we're in no position whatsoever to share it. Yeah, I told them, dude, if it was up to me, they would get 100% of the t-shirt sales. I don't know about that. Well, we don't get any. Well, I know, but still, we could if we could negotiate on their behalf. <laughs> we would work a little bit in for us, too. Man, what a volatile episode. Right to the end. Yeah, so uh, I guess if you want to express your volatility um, toward us, that's cool. We can handle it. We've been taking it for years. You can uh, tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can uh, send us stuff on Facebook, including Facebook art for the timeline. Um, at uh, facebook.com slash stuff you should know. You can also email us at stuffpodcast at discovery.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Fork staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. Tomorrow.